0: All right, guys. Welcome back to Ag with Emma. We're jumping over to New York today. I'll give you one guess who we're talking to, and it is not the New York Farm Girls yet. We are talking to Tom Corcoran from New York, and some of you might know him on Instagram as something else. Tom, would you introduce yourself and your Instagram username for the podcast listeners?
1: <laughs> so I like to say, farming some bits here. <laughs> yeah. so- that's my, that's my little uh, name on Instagram. And uh, it, it started out as a joke and it kind of stuck.
0: We love jokes that stick. It just gives you personality and everyone knows who you are. So, me introducing you as Tom, it's not going to ring a lot of bells, but introducing you no, as right. Some bitch is going to ring a lot of bells.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: I love that. Can you introduce what you do, how you got involved in agriculture?
1: So it's a very long story, but I'll try to keep it short. So I grew up on a small dairy farm. My dad milked 30 cows. My brother now milks like 50 cows. And uh, I worked for a fellow for years. He and I actually bought a little bit of land together, but he was the technically the farmer. And when I was 39 years old uh, in 2009, my wife and I decided we were going to start working the land we own ourselves. And I still work for that guy part time, but we were going to transition off on our own and uh, start, start our farm. So we, uh, we started out in 2010 with 140 acres. And our son at the time was only 10 years old. So he helped, or excuse me, he was 13 years old. So he helped out when he could and how he could. And uh, we just started doing a little more work. I started doing some custom combining and doing a few other things and picking up acres and picking up acres when our son got out of college, um, he took a diesel type program at an ag school. He came back to the farm full time. By then, we had enough things going on that we could hire him, and we uh, built a pole barn in 2011. And by 2015, we had heat in it and had it ready to go as a good, a decent workshop. So we've we've expanded. We only farm about a thousand acres now, but. We we've, we've got a lot of side hustles. So we we uh, besides our own farming, we custom strip till for guys. We custom plant. I sell seed corn. We custom combine. We truck, and this year we didn't do it. But the last six years, he and I hauled road salt. There's a, a salt mine, 18 miles from home, and they mine the salt that you put on roads to take the ice off the roads. So we hauled salt all over the great state of New York and. Uh, that was what we did in December, January, February, and March was we hauled road salt. But now our farms got to the size. We're just too busy. We got too much shop work to do and hauling our own grain and some other little bit of custom grain. So that's, uh, that's our farm in a nutshell right there.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you guys stay busy, like love to stay busy.
1: Well, it, it's funny. Um, we, uh, I call it fully employed. You got to be fully employed. So you gotta um, you gotta have something to do. I think kind of year round to keep you busy. Up in this area, we couldn't grow just corn and soybeans to make a living. In my opinion, most a good share of the farms up here have some type of side hustle. And uh, my my beautiful wife Diane wanted me to point out that this past spring we planted twenty four hundred Christmas trees, and this in uh, this coming spring we're going to plant another four thousand. So we're hoping in about six years, we're going to be uh, six, seven years. We're going to be selling Christmas trees here on the farm and incorporate a little ag retainment. And, uh, we're, we're not too far away from, uh, a decent population. So we're hoping we could draw people out of the, the, the towns and small cities and suburbs around here and, uh, get people to come out to the farm and choose and cut their own trees and have a real on-farm experience.
0: I love that. That sounds super fun. I'll have to come and cut some Christmas trees down with you guys. But so can you it's, what was oops, that? Go ahead. I was just gonna ask if you could explain the diversity of New York farming. But if you want to add whatever you had to say, that's fine too.
1: No, so so yeah, in, in New York, most people don't understand. So we farm an hour east of Buffalo. And so if you were to look on a map, we're probably an hour east of Lake Erie and we're hours south of Lake Ontario. So we're in the the lake effect snow belt. So we we usually get between 90 and 100 inches of snow a year. And we also get a lot of natural precipitation. Not that we can't have a drought, we don't have dry spells, but we're we're usually blessed with enough moisture. We get about 40 inches a year of total precipitation. So there's quite a bit of dairy in this area, but there's also some vegetable processing um, companies so they grow, you know, sweet corn that's mechanically harvested, green beans, peas, um, carrots, all kinds of things. There's a lot of fresh market produce grown up here in the summertime. Uh, a lot of cabbage, a lot of onions, uh, potatoes. Um, a friend of ours, uh, they've got, a uh, their own potato chip factory, New York chips. And, uh, So there's, there's a lot of diversity up here. We, we grow one of our crops we like to grow is we pretty much grow corn, soybeans, black beans, so dry edible beans. And then we grow wheat and, uh, winter wheat and, uh, soft red winter. And, and, uh, there's a market for the straw guys, guys like to bail the straw for their dairy farms. And, uh, so yeah, we're, we're pretty fortunate. There's a lot of, there's a lot of things, a lot of choices up this way
0: you guys do just kind of a quick silly question do you guys do round bales or square bales up there more
1: so most of the dairy farms now have gone to large square bales okay so they bail them drop them on the ground our ground is usually so moist they got to pick them up you know that within an hour or two they like to get them picked up so uh yep they put them in a barn and so we sell it we sell it right out of the back of the combine and and they come and bail it and and uh, a lot of big farms, a lot of big dairy farms. There's there's definitely some small ones. Our next door neighbor's milk three hundred cows, but you go a couple miles up the road, there's a eighteen hundred cow dairy. Go a few miles the other way, there's a four thousand cow dairy. So there's there's a lot lot of bigger dairy farms up in this area, and uh, great market for feed, great market for for soybeans, and yeah, that all sounds. And- yeah. And we also have a, we also have an ethanol plant that's about an hour away from us. So most people don't realize that up near Lake Ontario, there's a lot of corn grown and we had two ethanol plants. One of them didn't make it. So the other one makes it. And what does it go to the ethanol plant? Uh, mostly all goes for uh, cow feed gets ground for cow feed.
0: That, it's just so diverse up there. And you don't realize that just thinking about New York agriculture, that's definitely something I didn't think about, but do you guys also struggle with field size? Like what is your you guys don't have the big rounded out square fields, right? Do you still cuz on the very east coast like New Jersey, um those kind of smaller states out there, they all have like really sectioned out fields that they struggle with. Do you guys have that same issue?
1: That is correct. I mean, we work we work some 5 acre fields and some uh, seven acre fields and some triangle fields. We got one field that's three acres and it's a triangle. But then across the railroad tracks, there's a 44 acre field, which is decent size for us. At our home farm, we've got a 62 acre field. We've slowly taken the hedgerows out as we could afford to and had the time. Um, We got a 72 acre field that we own. Same thing, took out a bunch of hedgerows to make it. They were probably back in the day, 10 acre fields or maybe 20 acre fields. We try to turn them into bigger ones. And then we do rent an 85 acre field from somebody. So most people listening would say, man, that is tiny, but around here an 85 acre fields, that that's bragging rights. <laughs> yeah. Which is
0: crazy out in Idaho. That's definitely not bragging rights.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. So it's just, it's just funny. And as you, as you get north of us, the fields, some of them get a little bit bigger, but Um, you get South of us and I mean, they work a lot of five acre fields, two acre fields, seven, 10 acre fields. So a lot of hedgerows, every, every field surrounded by trees. So between the shade of the trees and the deer damage and the raccoon damage, um, yeah, you go around the outside of a 20 acre field and the the yield monitor reads close to zero. And then you got to get in a couple rounds and you start out with a zero around the outside of the field. It takes a long time to get that average back up to a couple hundred bushel of corn.
0: Yeah, those, can you talk about more of those challenges that come with farming such sectioned out and small acreage?
1: So what we, you know, we've got, we do have a lot of uh, stones up here. So anything from, we got some farms that we rent that are gravel, like you could use it for a driveway. It's so gravelly, we shouldn't even be farming it to uh, some ground that's heavier, wetter. There's some clay up here that's really hard in places. Luckily, we don't farm much of that. Um, but you don't have to go very far away. Uh, traffic is an issue. We're uh, one of the farms we rent is 26 miles away. You got to go through a fairly decent sized city to get to it. There's really no great way to get around it. So the most efficient way to get there is go through a, a four lane, you know, two, two lanes each way through this little city with a bunch of stoplights. And uh, we just, we move the equipment through there. We move the, the grain all has to come through there coming back home. And uh, to get dried, and then we got to go, go back out through the city to get to the ethanol plant. So uh, just one of the challenges we have, but that's okay.
0: Yeah. Have you seen a lot of development impacting your area, or are you guys not struggling with that as bad? Um,
1: we're out far enough away from the bigger, the, you know, Rochester and Buffalo, and so not too bad. I mean, there's definitely when a farm gets sold off, um, they'll sell a couple building lots here and there you got to farm around the people's yards and they'll uh they'll put up a fence right on the property line Then proceed to throw their leaves and and branches from their trees and their grass clippings over the back side of the fence oh then they might park their lawnmower behind the fence and so they think the property line really is 12 feet away from their fence and that that's that's frustrating that's a challenge and then It's But it's kind of good in a way because you got a little bit of a buffer there because then they plant your garden right the other side of the fence and you're trying to spray whatever you're spraying and you want to see people give you dirty looks, you know, go behind a a housing development where there's, you know, 20 houses in a row and you're trying to spray and the breeze is blowing and you got to really be careful when and where you spray because there's very few fields that we farm that there isn't at least one house in the corner or a row of houses, or it's, there's not a lot of fields that we farm that don't have a house somewhere attached to them.
0: So there's just a lot of more scattered out civilization than I guess, like a lot of people that just set up camp and permanently (laughs) right by your field and.
1: Correct. So they'll, yeah, so somebody will be selling off a 30 acre field and they'll, they'll put 10 houses out front, you know, the lots will be 250 feet deep. So you take what was a beautiful 20 acre field, they'll sell the front five or seven acres off. And then there's just houses and they all have a driveway out to the road and they all got their little backyard and, and it's fine. But, and then sometimes they won't sell, you know, if you're renting the ground, let's say the father passed away or mother passed away and the kids decide to sell building lots, you might have to farm around one house, jog around it, go back out to the road for a, a little, you know, 500 feet, and then jog around another house. And, um, just hard to be efficient in those fields, but then again, you, you can't farm without land, so you you put up with it. And every, every every neighborhood around here seems to have a little bit of that that you gotta you gotta jog around a few houses, but you just you just deal with it, do the best you can, make sure the wind's not blowing when you spray, and hope hopefully you don't blow too many corn leaves and soybean stalks into their yards when you're. Yeah, luckily our our combine has a variable speed on the straw spreader, so when we're combine next to somebody's house we could turn the spinners down so we don't blow soybean residue or corn cobs over in their yard usually
0: yeah that's handy good neighbors yeah it definitely has an impact on the efficiency of a farm when that's not something that people from the midwest or the far west think about a lot is the efficiency that goes away with those smaller fields or the struggles of like it's something we do deal with but not as much as you guys do
1: well, and then around like some of these towns where there's a lot of houses, I don't know about out west but or in the Midwest, but there's there's a higher deer population because the deer know that they're safe. If they're close to a subdivision, nobody's going to shoot them. So you pull in with a combine and get the field opened up, and it's starting to get dark out, and there'll be, tw- there'll be 20 white-tailed deer standing there looking at you. Well, 20 deer eat a lot of, it doesn't matter, cor- corn, soybeans, wheat, they do a lot of damage. So, you know, in the fall, we're always in a big hurry to get, get our crops harvested before the big, the first big snow or the big wind. But every day that crop stands out there, you got a herd of deer out there eating. So it seemed like 30 years ago, um, when I was a younger man, we didn't have much of a deer problem. Some places had a little bit, it gets worse and worse. So That's a huge consideration when you're figuring out your crop rotation. Um, what gets hurt the least by, by uh, a heavy deer population and everything gets hurt by a heavy deer population.
0: They should make a GMO corn plant. That's deer resistant too, huh?
1: (laughs) Well, I know I talked to one of my Instagram friends a year ago about stuff that they used to spray on when he worked for a, a company and it smelled kind of fishy and it was supposed to keep the deer away. he said it smelled terrible to handle and spray but it it only worked for a couple days and the deer were right back in there so yeah i want to figure out a way to make deer whitetail resistant you name it and i'd I'd like to find a soybean plant that was bitter or a a wheat plant that they wouldn't they wouldn't eat they don't like bearded wheat or awned wheat so Mm -hmm. if you got a place that's got a lot of deer pressure they'll eat the wheat until it heads out and then they don't like to eat the the heads off it because the 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 beard or the on, um, I guess it kind of like feels weird in their mouths or cuts their mouths. So they, they shy away from it. but.
0: So yeah, that's interesting. I never would have thought of that because we don't have a huge deer population problem. I mean, we'll get them in our hay fields sometimes, but it's not as much as you guys struggle with because we don't have the tree population either that you guys do surrounding our subdivisions. We're more of a desert.
1: Yeah. So, So like around here, there's, there's a lot of like little small small patches of woods, you know, might be a 10 acre woods or might be a hundred acre woods and, um, great cover for them, great place for them to live. And then they come out and browse in the, in the crop and then they got a nice safe place to stay. And when, when I was young, more people hunted, so less and less hunters and more guys just want to hunt for trophies. And, um, so I, I say we got a terrible deer situation here and people kind of laugh at me, but I say someday they're going to be paying, uh, farmers and hunters there'll be a bounty on on deer they'll, they'll pay you 10 bucks a piece to shoot them or something because the population's getting so out of hand in my opinion
0: yeah and in school we've heard of that they'll have you do hypothetical situations where you have to make a project to present an issue and there has been incentivizing farmers to rid deer populations so it's definitely something that's on people's mind that is an issue
1: yeah absolutely
0: but yeah. Um, can we talk about your Instagram and your networking a little bit and how that started that shifting gears?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So three years ago, uh, my wife and I were at the commodity classic. Uh, I'm lucky enough to be on the New York corn and soybean, uh, growers, uh, board of directors. I'm now the vice president of the, and believe it or not in New York state, we do have a New York corn and soybean growers association. And, So a friend of mine was at the, at this meeting and he wanted to start an Instagram for me. And I didn't even know what Instagram was. I mean, I had heard of it, but I'm like, I have no idea what this Instagram thing is. So he said, well, you put pictures and little descriptions and this and that, and you meet people and yada, yada. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Make me an account. And as a joke, when he said, what do you want your name to be? I said, farming some bitch. And I figured it would last for a couple of weeks and then I would have 10, maybe a hundred followers and I would either cancel my account or quit looking at it or just change it back to Tom Corcoran and nobody can say or spell our last name. So, um, it, it started to gain a little traction, but the name comes from my wife and I in 2018 started doing a tractor show here at our farm. And it's a fundraiser for Alzheimer's. Um, Diane's dad passed away from Alzheimer's in 2016 and we decided to have the show. We said we had to have a cause. So we, we started raising money for Alzheimer's. And the first year, we probably had 70 tractors show up. And we raised over 3000 And we thought, wow, that's kind of cool. And then the second year, we had probably similar, maybe a little more money. And then the third year, COVID hit. So kind of we sold T-shirts online and through our Instagram. And we did really well. And then this past year, we raised almost $11,000. So for... Little Backyard Tractor Show, but we call it the Some Bitch Show. Is a a name I come up with. The acronym stands for Some Unique Machines Brought in to Commemorate History.
0: That is so smart. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Now it's not even like a curse word. It's just an acronym.
1: (laughs) Wow. I'm 51 years old and nobody's ever said something I did was smart. Thanks. No, I love
0: that. that. Okay. It was, what was it?
1: So it's, it's, I need to bring you a t-shirt sometime. Yeah. When we, whenever we see each other in person, I'll get you a shirt. So it stands for some unique machines brought in to commemorate history.
0: I love that.
1: So a couple people told us it was a bad name, but my wife and I thought it was cute. My son thought it was cute and uh, it's stuck. We, we, we've have maybe, maybe 500 people showed up at the show this year. and We probably sold over 200 t-shirts. People think it's fun to wear a some bitch show t-shirt and on the back set is the, is the acronym. It, It breaks it down for you. So, um, so that's where, that's where the name come from. And then, and then once I started getting a few followers, I'm like, yeah, I can't change my name now. And, and, uh, truth be known, it probably caught a lot of people's attention and and uh, so between my, my, and my wife's quirkiness on there and the quirky name, uh, I think it's been beneficial. So now, now I'll be 70 years old and I'm still going to be the darn farming some bitch.
0: <laughs> well, it adds to your personality, you know, like you see you in our feed and it's like, Oh, that's the guy you are. It's the connection <laughs> between your username and the things you post and the and energy you bring to the ag industry side of social media that. It's just, it's really fun. So I think the username fits.
1: So if any, if anybody suffers through, so, so it started out, I would once in a while say farming some bitch here when I would start at Instagram and we just started a YouTube uh, channel under the same name, but I I used to once in a while say farming some bitch here just as a joke. And then I said, nah, I I don't want to do that. And my friends and neighbors said, no, you got to do it. That's like your stick. Now you can't, you can't stop now, you know? And then, at the end, when, when I started dating my wife, Diane was a waitress. So I used to tell her it was a great day to feed the world. Cause she was <clears throat> literally feeding the world as a waitress handing people food. And I was in my opinion, growing food, feeding the world. So I used to just tell her, you know, great day to feed the world. So at the end I started once in a while, I would say great day to feed the world. And then that just kind of stuck. And the, the more I think about it and the more people think about it, when you really, that's what everybody in agriculture, even if you're a supplier, you sell seed or fertilizer or provide a service or or a consultant parts, anything. I mean, really at the end of the day, when you think about it, what we are doing is feeding clothing and fueling the world. So uh, it's It started out kind of as a kind of joke on Instagram and a little bit cliche and whatever. And it is a little corny, but um, I don't care. I'm passionate about it. So um, that's just that's that's me. That's how I feel.
0: Yeah, I think it fits. And I think it's a great motivation. If you're passionate about something, just send it. And if they don't like it, they can unfollow you.
1: That's right. I'm not holding a gun to anybody's head. If you want to see what I'm going to say or what I'm posting, that's great. If you don't, I'm sorry. Um, go go, go! find a different person to follow or whatever. But yeah, you kind of said it. I mean, you don't find people that are really more passionate about ag than people like myself or yourself or a lot of the people that I follow on, on Instagram. So um, I don't have an Instagram to be famous. I don't have an Instagram to be... Cool. Or I, we run old modest equipment. Our newest tractors, like a 1980 something John Deere 4650. We run old trucks. Um, we put money in the drainage tile and buying some land and, and, and us in a workshop, but there's nothing fancy or glitzy here. I drive a regular, just a four wheel drive, regular cab pickup truck. And there's, there's, it's, it's not about the show or anything. It's just about Hopefully entertain a few people, educate a few people, and uh, and then the connections that I've made in return are just unbelievable. So I get way more out of it than I put into it. That's for sure. And, and uh, I I feel very blessed to have the network of people I do that I've met through Instagram, including yourself and people all over the world. And what a great support system.
0: Yeah, it's a great area to learn and to keep encouraging the learning environment. So I think you do a great job with that and kind of going off of that, in your bio, it says you're a first-generation farmer. Can you talk about that?
1: So, like I said, I grew up on a farm, but I left the farm, and I was a quote-unquote employee for 20 years, And but the guy that I worked with, the first day I met him, I said, I just don't want to be an employee. I'd like to have some ownership, so we bought a little bit of land together, and uh, we at the time, we had a custom green bean harvesting business, so we had four bean harvesters, everything was local here. We didn't have to truck them anywhere, but, um, we picked green beans seven days a week for about 10 weeks straight, uh, to supply a couple different local canyon factories. And so with that money, we were able to afford to buy a little bit of land. And when my wife and I decided it was time we wanted to farm on our own, we just leveraged that land to put up a, a grain dryer and a small grain bin and a, put up this Morton barn that we use as a shop. and And uh, so we just started leveraging, you know, looking back, maybe it was a little bit scary. The first year, the bank was a little bit reluctant to lend us much money. So they didn't, Um, I had a buddy of mine and he'd kill me if he heard me telling this story, but he, uh, the first year we were going to farm, I didn't have enough money to buy a, I, I drove a company pickup truck. I wanted my own pickup and I wanted to buy a corn planter. And he lended me cash money in an envelope to go out and buy a used pickup truck and a used junk corn planter. And uh, he said, pay me back within a year. If I get hit by a beer truck, I told my brother, I lent you this money. You got to pay him back. And uh, <laughs> look, looking back, and I still have the contract. It literally says on there, if I get hit by a beer truck, you pay my brother, Bruce. And uh, so to this day, I mean, I look back at, at, a, at a guy like that that had so much faith in me that he was willing to give me a big fat envelope of cash. And the very next day my wife and I went bought a pickup truck with a snowplow blade on the front. And then at night we went to, we knew a guy that had a corn planter for sale and we sat at his kitchen table and bought a corn planter. And, uh, and with, like I say, modest equipment, we got to start. And 2011 was a really tough year in Western New York. And, um, we, we had a really wet spring. We had a really dry summer and we, I had an old John Deere eighty eight twenty combine. And that fall, I combined 1100 acres. Probably we were working a little over 250, maybe that year. And, uh, but between ours and custom work, we went out and did like 1100 acres with an old eighty eight twenty combine custom combining. We didn't even have a grain buggy. We took every bend to the, to the road and dumped it on the, on a truck and, uh, if we didn't have that old machine, I, I think we would have gone broke that that year. That little bit of money we made with that combine doing custom work was enough to help us pay our bills and get through and beg the bank to give us money again to try growing a crop of 2012. And most everybody listening remembers 2012 was a terrible national drought. So that was a tough year. So 13, I told my wife, 13's 2013 has got to be better. You know, this will be our fourth year of farming. We're going to make some money this year. And it was kind of tough. And 15 was kind of tough. And 16 was a bad drought. <laughs> so it was probably 2017 before we had a year that was actually a good year farming. And in between there, we made some money on the black beans and a little bit on corn. But a couple of years, we lost money. And then as our crop insurance guarantee got better and things got better and um, just kept Persevering and and found all these side hustles. We hauled silage for neighbors with a tractor trailer and a ten wheeler. So we we found part time guys to help us drive those when we were too busy. And and uh, the seed corn come along. I started selling seed corn. I think in the fall of 2016. That's been a nice little sideline. And just with a with a I, I dislike when people tell me I'm lucky. I'm very blessed, but we've, we've worked very hard and I think was the preparation and hard work make luck, you know, make you appear to be lucky. So, um, we've been, we've been very blessed. A lot of people have helped us out. A lot of people have helped us out, but, uh, it it's, it's more because of, of our actions than because of luck. If you, if you ask me.
0: Yeah. I love that. Can you talk about what kept you going when it kept not getting easier because you talk about the drought and how it wasn't easy and there's a lot of people that might struggle with one hard year and then they just throw in the towel can you talk about something that helped you keep going even when it was hard
1: the feel the fear of failure was really I think what motivated me and when somebody a lot of a lot of people that were close to us told us you guys are nuts you, you you're not going to make this work and then you know, when Troy got out of college in 2016 and we said, we're going to hire Troy full-time, they're like, you can't afford to hire your son. You just, you don't have a big enough farm. You don't have enough income. You don't have enough this. We've always had a good banker. Um, he's he's a great guy. I, I tell him that all the time. He says, the only reason you like me is that because I don't tell you no. You're going to hate me when I tell you no. And I said, no, if I come in and ask for money to do something and you tell me no, it's because you got my best interest at heart. But again, with, with older equipment and, and the things we've done, um, we've got some great landlords. Every one of our landlords is fantastic. Uh, every piece of property we work, the landlords have approached us and said, would you like to rent my ground? Um, so we own about a quarter of what we farm and we've, we've just been very fortunate. So the fear of failure, I mean, just every day I get up and like, okay, what can I do? So in 2000 and I don't remember, 16, I guess, we bought our first nice, I'll call it a nice Peterbilt. It was O2, and that following winter, I got the opportunity to start hauling road salt. Well, I don't want to get out of bed at 3.30 in the morning, go out on snowy roads, and travel all over the state of New York to, to try to make a little bit of money, but that was how we were able to make the mortgage payment and pay for the groceries and keep the electric bill. And, and have a a couple of, we got an older Peter belt in 1978 and have two nice trucks to haul, the haul or grain when we needed them. And then our son got old enough to get his, um, commercial driver's license. So we bought him a, a, a nice, a decent Peter belt. again, it's a 2002. And, uh, so we did that for six years and then this year we decided not to, but, um, what, what got me out of bed every morning in the cold and in the dark was, hey, look at, we're, we're moving forward. We're able to pay for drainage tile. We're making land payments. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're doing, we're doing pretty good at the end of the year. You know, we could, we could pay our bills, pay everybody, pay everybody back. And, uh, it just, it's, it that's exciting. When you look every year, your balance sheet gained a little bit, uh, and, you know, vendors still want to do business with you. Cause you're a good guy that pays your bills when you're supposed to. And, um, a lot of satisfaction, a lot of satisfaction in that. So the good far outweighed the bad. It's still risky. I'm nervous this year with high input prices, but um, my wife is a great marketer. She always says we won't go broke making a profit. So when it looks like prices are decent, yeah, we're never going to be the guys that, that go to a meeting and brag that we sold the highest, highest corn, the highest soybeans, the highest wheat. But we make incremental sales when the prices are decent. And Every at the end of every year, we've always just made a little bit of money, enough to to survive and and uh, grow into the next year.
0: Yeah, you guys sound like you make smart moves with you know just being realistic with yourselves and not being afraid of the risk. I guess you're afraid of failure, but you're not afraid to fail if that makes sense. What I'm saying.
1: Yeah, that's right. And i yeah. i always I always joke that you can't save your way to prosperity. So. I'd rather spend the money on fertilizer, drainage, tile, great genetics and have our equipment up in shape. Don't get me wrong. It's old. It's, but you know, have, have decent, decent equipment. And and we updated combines last year. And, uh, but there's still everything we got is old. Our son is a great mechanic. If we have a tractor that needs an engine job or needs transmission work, he does it all here in house. We, we send almost nothing out to get worked on nothing. Um, he he's, he's phenomenal. So his, his college education, learning a skill, learning how to be a mechanic. I mean, it was just, it was the, the best money and we made him pay for his own college. Um, when Whenever he worked for us, we always paid him, but we made him put a third of it aside so he could pay for his own schooling. And when he come back to the farm, the money he saved us by having the ability to work on our equipment and you know, I've had friends tell me, oh, your shop has lost capital. What a bad investment. I don't care if you buy a brand new tractor, or a brand new combine. You still got to do maintenance on it. So we, this time of year, we work Monday through Friday. I work out there every day, but he's here Monday through Friday, and we're just cranking out the projects. We're getting stuff ready for spring, the corn planter, the combines, the trucks, the tractors. Um, I like to joke and call it corporate headquarters, our, our workshop, but um, when you're warm and comfortable, you could be so productive. And hopefully when, when May 1st gets here, we hit the ground running and we have a line of equipment that's, that's ready to go and no excuses why we can't go out and capitalize on the good weather. The weather windows are real tight here in Western New York. We get a lot of rain. So when the, when the weather's good, it's time to go. We got to be ready.
0: Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about being able to fix your own equipment. Cause you know, nowadays there's a lot of problems with the newer equipment with all the technology that's in them i get a lot of people telling me that they wish they would have sticked with the old stuff so they they can fix it on their own without having to call someone so the value in that and then the value of just knowing your weather patterns and knowing that you need good genetics and to put in money for the good inputs to make money is very valuable
1: Well, you had a podcast not long ago, a guy talking about drainage tiles. So in Western New York, we we pattern tile our our heavier ground. Um, It's the best ground, but it also doesn't dry out so fast. So we're we're probably like on a 50 foot pattern and, uh, you know, just it helps you get in or get that corn or soybeans planted two weeks earlier, helps gives you a longer window in the fall. We were so wet this past year during the growing season that guys had crops drowned out. Um, that didn't have drainage tile because it was just, we had probably eight inches of rain in July during wheat harvest. And, uh, you know, you got to get that water off the field. So, um, yeah, we've invested in things like that. And, uh, I'm not saying our ways the the correct, correct way, but, um, a, a friend of mine told me one time you could, you could learn as much from watching somebody do things wrong as you can from doing watching somebody do things right. So we've tried to, there's a lot of great producers in New York state. And uh, we could grow some good, good crops up here. So I've watched the guys that did things, what in my opinion, right, Then I watched the guys that, in my opinion, do things wrong, and uh, tried to avoid the mistakes that the guys were doing things wrong, and try to copy and emulate the guys that are doing things right. And uh, we we seem to we seem to settle on a on a pretty decent program.
0: Yeah, and even with the right and wrong farming is still no one is the same puzzle piece it's all a bunch of puzzle pieces going into one big puzzle that's a different situation with everything so knowing your farm and knowing your situation is the most important but also having that advice and that role model of other farmers in your area is very valid
1: that's right and you know so to to you know go further like get getting on different board like the new york Corn and soybean board of directors Everybody on that board is very smart, very capable people, and they all have a little bit different farming style, but I like going to the meetings. I like the work we do for like New York corn and soybean growers, but I get just as much or more at the lunch table before the meeting, after the meeting, talking to these people because the things they do, the things they implement on their farms, um, it's just, it's, you know, they're the, a lot of them are the best producers in in the area, And, uh, it's funny, it seems like the busiest farmers are the ones that take time to, to join, join boards of directors and be it, you know, whatever you name the organization farm bureau or corn and soybean growers, or all kinds of different things, chamber of commerce. And yet somehow they, they find the time and make the time to get to these meetings and attend these meetings and do things and be on the town boards and the school boards and the soil and water boards but they also are good time managers so they they know how to come home and get things done when they need to and uh I just I've always I've always admired the, the people that serve on these on these different boards and organizations that are also great advocates for ag and uh like I said I usually I usually seem like I learn more than I contribute that's for sure
0: yeah, for those listening that don't understand what a corn and soybean board means, can you explain the purpose of the organization and how you got involved with it?
1: Oh boy. So um yeah, I was asked to be on the board probably like four and a half years ago. So we we you have you you, you can be a member, and but we there's a lot of farmers that aren't members, but so we do different things because our state is smaller, our corn and soybean board is, is combined. But you also, when you put your dues in for a membership, you become a a member of the national corn growers. So they do what we do on a, on a way grander scale, but you know, some of, some of your dues money and, and some of the money that we raise doing fundraisers and, and, uh, we do a winter crop, uh, expo and we do a summer crop tour. Um, we, we take that money and we use it, we've hired a, uh, basically it's a law firm that helps us do things and, and keep track of different laws. New York state, uh, with the city and different things, there's a lot of pressure on agriculture. They want to do, do away with neonics. That was a big topic last spring. Um, people that have their heart in the right place, but don't understand agriculture, they want to do all these warm fuzzy things and it's not always in the best interest of farmers so this organization goes in and says okay you know here the farmers have to have seed protectants on their seed and this is why this is the science behind it and a, a lot of other things there's there's water water issues and different things so they they basically i don't know if they help us lobby but i guess they they educate the politicians and educate us on how we can work together to be more effective. Um, we use money for research, um, for all kinds of things for research from nitrogen use, cover crops, um, a lot of different things like that. And then it's just like anything, you know, one person doesn't have much of a voice, but you get hundreds of people together. You start to get a little clout. You start to get a little bit of, um, you know, it just makes it makes a difference. So um, and then we also distribute the, the soybean checkoff money for New York state. So that money gets used for a lot of great things. And you're also a member of the American soybean association. If you're in uh, a member of the New York corn and soybean growers. So it's probably, I'm assuming it's like that in every state across the country that has a, a corn board or a soybean board, um, being a member of those things, your, your money is, is used, is used well to promote find uses. Um, and just, it's, it, in my opinion, it's all good. Every, everybody in every state should be a member of these organizations. And if, if you don't like the way things are being done, or you don't like rather than sit home and complain about it, you should join the board and go in and try to do something about it. And, uh, you, you know, for the, for the greater good of, of your, your industry, um, join the board almost at least in our area, Most of these boards are looking for young, ambitious, smart people to join the boards and uh, get on there and help help steer the future of agriculture.
0: And can you do that even without being a producer yourself? So if I was to go in there and be like, Hey, I want to be part of this, but I don't grow any corn or soybeans. Can they still do that?
1: So it depends on the state in New York state. Yes. We've got a couple people that are on the board that aren't actually producers. And, but they still have a vote and they still can, uh, they, they attend all the meetings and actually, um, those couple of people are the, are the probably bring more to the board than us farmers, because we've, we've got a little bit of tunnel vision. We know, we know what we know, but we might not know maybe quite as much as we should about other things in the industry or that affect the industry, um, So it's, yeah, we've got a couple advisors on the board, um, that also that, that come in and, and help, help us. And, um, and again, that, that team, that whole team just really, really is, has a, I think has a very powerful impact on our industry.
0: Yeah. And we've been hearing a lot about misinformation and the damage that it causes. I don't think that's ever going to go away, but this is, a way to kind of fight that misinformation and to make sure that your voice is being heard. Because I see that being a main struggle with farmers is they don't want to speak up because they don't think their opinion is valued or they don't think they know enough of what they're talking about. So I really love the idea of getting on more of these boards and involved in these organizations because you're right, it is way different than one single person trying to change everything rather than a whole group of people, so...
1: Right. A whole group of people with a unified voice really, really has some definitely some more way more impact. And um, like you say, we're not going to, you're not going to change some people's mind, but like when it comes to legislatures, we are such a urban state. It is very hard to go to, to ha- you know, send, send three or four farmers to the state Capitol and say, okay, go down there and straighten them out. Well, that's not how it's going to work. But if we, if, if we have this, this group that works with us and we, we attend meetings and go down for hearings and different things. Um, if they keep hearing positive and the other thing is we we've invited some of these people to our farms. And if you can bring people out here and say, Whoa, they're not terrible people trying to, you know, ruin the earth. These, these people really do have a deep passion for what they do with their animals and their, and their crops and their land. And, and, uh, you know, again, that's a little bit of a misconception to some people that, you know, we're out just, you know, taking terrible advantage of, of, of our resources and, and nothing could be further from the truth. So um, ed- education is so important.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's crazy. The gap that has become the producer to consumer gap that affects us now. And the fact that people forget that we, it is our livelihood and it depends on the soil that we have to take care of. So when they point, you know, blank statements at us about, you don't care about the soil, you're tilling it up because you want to destroy the planet and it does all these negative things. It just, it seems very, very silly to me. And I'm sure to you as well, and many other people listening that the connection isn't made, you know, a nurse is not going to go into work and decide she wants to give everyone the wrong shot so that she can keep her job. That's not how this works. You know,
1: that that is right. And you know, and then the other thing is like things are expensive. So we hire a crop consultant to come out and look at our crops. And and if it needs to be sprayed a second time for weeds, we spray it. But if it doesn't, we we don't. So IPM integrated um, pest management, you don't go out and just do a broadband application just to do it because it's too expensive and it's too time consuming and it's, and it's not good for the environment. So, um, a lot of people have no idea. I I put a thing on Instagram, uh, a while back and looking for a, a precision planting, um, screen for for one of our planners we updated planners and i want to i want the better monitor and i was talking to some friends of mine that live in the country and think they know a lot about farming and they're like what you just don't drop the planner down and go across the field and i'm like no i mean these 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 monitors will tell you right within a tenth of a percent what you're dropping if you have skips so you can make adjustments there's they just they they just have no idea what we're up against or what we're trying to do out here. Um, they think yep, that there's one corn variety, all the corn grown in Western New York is the same variety uh, sold by the same guys. go to the grain bin and, and clean the corn and go put it in the ground. And and then you take the summer off and you come back and you harvest it in the fall, take the winter off. And they, they have no idea the, the amount of precision and the thought and the planning that goes into this stuff. And it frustrates frustrates me. These are rural people that are friends with us and they have so little idea what we do every day. It's just, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, and I've been in those shoes. You know, I was raised out of town, had my own milk cow kind of thing. And I still didn't know what being a GMO meant. I actually made a presentation in seventh grade talking about how bad GMOs were because that's the education that I received. And so when people aren't receiving... The proper education, it really does affect the knowledge base. And even if they do live rural, it doesn't mean that they know what's going on. And so I think the Instagram approach of trying to target consumers that are raised in urban areas seems a little flawed at this point. You know, we're not just going at urban areas. We're going at people that are also raised in this industry that don't understand the full extent of what goes on because it's so important to just educate with kindness and understanding that they don't know what's going on. Cause there's a lot, it's a lot, it's a big picture of so many different aspects that we don't have time to just sit here and nitpick at one group that was raised in the city, you know?
1: No, that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, and then, you know, like the YouTube platform, the, the people that watch that and learn from that myself included um, it's just interesting to see. I mean, I don't know about the area you live in. I don't know but with Instagram and with YouTube, I've learned a lot about agriculture in the United States and the world for that matter. So even though I've grown up in the business, I'm 51 years old, I think I know a lot about farming. There's so much more to learn. And, uh, and every area is just so much different. And it's, it's exciting. If you want to learn about it, it's, it's exciting and easy. And you're not going to change some people's opinion. Some people have their opinion. It's set. You're never going to, you're never going to do a thing to change it. But um, for the other ones, it's more, I think more education is, is almost always better.
0: Amen. I think being open minded as well within this industry. So if you're open minded enough, as you just said, to like learn about operations that are across the country or maybe in Australia or wherever, because it's like earlier it's all a big puzzle and everyone's just another piece and so everyone has something different to contribute to that overall picture that no one is ever going to know everything about it and i think that's the coolest thing about this industry so
1: yeah that's right absolutely and and there's so many s- smart capable people in this industry and the other thing is i i wish that more people knew more young people knew that you know when i get out of high school i could go to college and i could I could be a professional in the ag business and make good money, have a good living, be connected to some great people, farm customers, and, and just have a, and and make a great living. Um, the, the, it just doesn't need to be farm kids off of the farm. You know, people like yourself that there is such, there's such a big huge industry out there. There's so much support that we need to run this business. Um, And so I, I just wish there was a way to educate young people that, you know, you ought to consider a a career in agriculture It's one of the most exciting things out there right now. And uh, so much potential and it's, it's very cliche and I almost dread saying it, but you know, people got to eat, people got to have fuel for their vehicles. They got to have clothes. So there's always going to be a need for agriculture. And there's always going to be capable, great people. They're going to step up to the plate, figure out how to do it economically and how to do it efficiently. And they need great people behind them to help them achieve that goal. So um, I wish there was more education out there that young young people that are not off of farms could uh, could come in and and uh, just see see how great industry it is and and get involved in it.
0: I agree. And I think the more that we advocate just everywhere that we go and on the Internet, the more that that is going to open up for more people. So I think that someday, hopefully, cross our fingers, we'll see the return of the efforts that making a simple Instagram post can do or, you know, telling your neighbor about this corn plant that you just planted. You know, that could have impacts for generations. You know, that story could be told to a younger kid that goes on to make a new variety of corn and change the world. So you never know what opening your mouth is going to do. So so I don't remember if it was this past summer.
1: It might, have, yeah, I think it was this past summer. One, one, uh seems like it was a Sunday evening. I put a post on Instagram about how every silk on an ear of corn pollinates a kernel and every, and the pollen grain tra- travels through the silk because silk is actually a tube to each kernel and pollinates each kernel. And if it's too hot, too dry, too this, too that, you'll have some kernels that don't pollinate correctly or the ends, it'll run out of water or too hot. The ends, the bottom end or usually typically the top end will just cut itself short to preserve the plant. And I put this on Instagram and my mom sees it. And my mom's like, honey, I had no idea what a silk did. And she's been around farming, you know, since she married my dad in the 60s and eating sweet corn and hus sweet corn and saw them silks and she had no idea what a silk was for and she's like wow i bet you taught some people that that's what a silk does and uh i never admit never i don't know why i did it i just thought it was kind of cool and and uh but i'm like yeah I bet i bet there was other people that that didn't know that that was what what the silk does so i i learned to my mommy something <laughs>
0: <laughs> I <learned> my mom.
1: <laughs> See, that's
0: the thing. I tell my mom stuff all the time that she has no idea about. And people tell me things I have no idea about all the time, too. It's I, I love learning about it. And I just wish that there was more like minded people like that, that were just open to learning without opinion, just the facts. So,
1: right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I, I wish there was a way to change it all quick, but it's a, definitely a process that doesn't happen overnight. And one thing that a lot of people might not understand, if we could just kind of segue into this, is the high input prices and how that's affected farmers and why that's kind of come about. Could you talk about your knowledge on that just to kind of educate those who might not know why inputs are higher this year?
1: So I don't know exactly why they're higher. There's a a number of factors, but we had a guy here uh, brought us a fertilizer quote, and everything is pretty much double what it was last year. So, you know, our margins are tight. So if we spend double the money on fertilizer, a friend of mine told me the other day that his fertilizer program for corn this coming year would be just shy of $400 an acre if he did what he did last year. So that was $200 last year, now it's 400. Um, In Western New York, sometimes we don't grow good enough corn to cover $400 fertilizer costs. So he has to change up his fertilizer program. We're gonna change ours a little bit. We're not exactly sure how we're gonna tweak it. Um, we're gonna try a couple different products. We're gonna try some biologicals. Um, we're changing things up that if it was the same price as it was last year, we wouldn't even be having these discussions. Um, so it's, it's definitely making us nervous. If you put an extra $100 of input cost in, uh, the crop price isn't a heck of a lot better than it was last year, as far as booking ahead. It's, it's decent but it's not, um, when you're to compensate for that, that's correct. And fuel prices up. Uh, we have to dry all our grain in Western New York. We typically harvest most of our corn between 20 and 25% moisture. It takes a lot of propane to dry 25% corn down. So it'll store for the winter, um,
0: which is around so, 13%, know, percent. right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, you know, it's going to, it's going to be expensive. It's going to be, um, you know, your giant costs are double, your diesel fuel price is up. So this coming year is going to be, it's going to be tricky. We're going to have to have to watch what we do. And uh, we've updated to a little bit better soybean planter. We're hoping to get an extra five bushel an acre out of our soybean crop. We'll, we'll see if that can hold true. But uh, that might be the difference in soybeans, that extra five bushel making money or not making money. Switch it. We're switching to 15 intros, some 30 intros. And uh, we're just, we're hoping to see a yield bump. And, but it costs money to buy the planter, but we think long-term it'll, it'll still pay off. But, uh, yeah, we're looking for cheaper fertilizer options and the cover crops we've been using, we're hoping they're going to do their job and recycle nutrients. And maybe we can cut back a few percent on our, on our, uh, fertilizer inputs. And, uh, just see if, if, uh, that seems to be a topic around here, I don't know about the rest of the country, but a lot of guys are talking about cutting their fertilizer rates 10 to 20%. Our levels are good. But um, just we're hoping we can cut back a little bit, not do any damage to the soil and still get great yields.
0: Yeah, it's a very stressful time to be I mean, it's always stressful to be in farming, but a lot of people is, have said it's a lot like the 80s, um, how agriculture was in the 80s. I am not super familiar with that, but a lot of people have said it's going to get real wild uh, or already has with the costs of everything and the market's going up, but not enough to compensate for the prices of inputs, and has a lot to do with the current administration and office as well, and China and COVID, well, and
1: the, the, yeah, absolutely, all of those factors and and many more. Some we, we don't even know. Shipping shipping costs are are out of control from from places around the world where a lot of these fertilizer products come in, and and uh, the fertilizer companies. Uh, love them or hate them, they're opportunists, and they say never let a good crisis go to waste. So guess what? These uh, fertilizer companies—they're not letting this this crisis go to waste. They're gonna they're gonna probably make record profits the next year or two. And uh, I just I don't I don't want to be sitting here having the same conversation next year, telling you how much money we lost in in two in twenty twenty two. So yeah, um, we just gotta farm farm smarter and and hope we survive it. And uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Really working against a lot of greed though in this industry. Like the people that provide the inputs, they I'm not saying they're bad people at all, but they do it's a money game. So it boils down to I guess where your heart's at with it. And when you run a big corporation that's selling all this, you know, the just the opportunity to make money is always gonna outweigh the good of agriculture, I guess.
1: No, I think for most I of fear. these bigger
0: people. So
1: yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. And they, they, uh, they got an opportunity to taking advantage of it. And, uh, I think it's kind of a shame if fertilizer prices were up 30, 40%, whatever, we wouldn't, we wouldn't probably hardly bad night. We'd, we'd grumble a little, but when they're, when they're up a hundred percent, that's, that's, that's tough to stomach.
0: It, it really is. I don't even farm my own ground or pay for any of that. And I feel like, the stress of it it just I couldn't imagine being in those shoes right now so and that's something that not a lot of people buying food in the grocery store are thinking about either they're not thinking about the money that goes behind it and the stressful financial decisions and the motivations behind all that they just you know they look at the sticker and if it has organic or non-gmo on it they throw it in their cart and they're good to go so hopefully (laughs)
1: <laughs> right whoever's right. listening
0: to this can understand a little bit more behind what really goes into farming because it's not easy
1: well you know and i i tell people it's it's kind of funny when when you talk about like agriculture and and uh i mean this is this is our life this is our livelihood it doesn't matter if you're animal agriculture or just crops or or what you do but you I, I i have a hard time shutting it off even if we go on on a Trip or vacation, I have a really hard time shutting it off. I mean, when when we the day we get done with harvest and and usually around here it's around Thanksgiving time we try to wrap up harvest. The next day I'm I'm worried about are we going to be able to get the have enough money and time to get the equipment ready for spring? Are we going to have enough money to pay the operating loan back? Are we going to be able to update any equipment? There's always something going through your mind. It's not like oh harvest is over I'll see you in the spring. It's like now we got to do. And, and when margins get tighter, I, I think most farmers can attest, you know, it's just more stress, more things, more things going through your brain. You know, can we tweak our fertilizer program? Can we buy some different blends that are a little bit cheaper? Can we apply them a little different? Can we go to dry versus liquid or liquid versus dry? How are we going to get the most bang for our buck? We, we strip till, or we call it zone build here, but we put our nutrients all in pretty much in the slot where we're going to plant the corn or, or beans um, more so with the corn. And so we're trying to put the the nutrients right where they need to be. So the corn plant's going to suck them up. And, uh, so, you know, some people are fortunate or unfortunate. They got a job, they go home at five o'clock and now they might think about it and oh, their worker, Bob's a jerk or coworker, Bob's a jerk, whatever, but they don't, they don't get up at two o'clock in the morning. Like, how are we going to pay our bills this year? If we get below average yields, and crop insurance doesn't kick in, which you never want crop insurance to kick in. That's never a good thing. But what if we have below average yields and our expenses are up? Our, and, and, you know, how are we going to pay our bills? How are we going to go to the bank next year? How are we going to borrow extra money to pay for 2022's crop and then put 2023's crop in the ground? So like you say, the I said earlier, the fear of failure, um, that's what motivates me, makes me think about these things, makes me you know, sometimes keeps me up at night or wakes me up in the night and I start thinking about it and, and, uh, like, man, it's, it's, a it's a, it's a lot of stress and a lot of, a lot of heartache sometimes, but like I say for the most part, most everybody, I know we're in the same boat. We're all, we're all love, love what we do. Very blessed to be doing what we're doing, but, um, it's just, it's not, it's not as easy as it looks. How's that?
0: Yeah. But I think that's a very good way to sum it up. <laughs> So, I guess as we kind of wrap up here, I don't know how much time we've taken up, but I think we're getting close. Um, if I could just ask you the question that I ask most other people is what is one thing in a quick summary that keeps you up about, keeps you up at night about the agriculture industry? If it, you could narrow it down to one thing that just stresses you out to the max.
1: <laughs> so, right now for me, it is transitioning our 25 year old son. We've only been farming for 12 years. We got to figure out a way to transition him into this business. We got to get him educated and get involved with different things. We got to make him the greatest producer in the neighborhood so he can take someday, hopefully take over this farm, which is what he'd like to do. And we got to transition that so he can make enough money that I don't want to have to at, age, whatever, I start collecting social security, live off of a social security check. I've worked really hard my whole life. I've ever, ever since I was a kid, I've had side hustles, worked on my dad's dairy farm, cut firewood, did whatever I could. I don't, I want to put him in a position that he is a successful farmer with a successful family, and he can actually pay us some rent or do something so Diane and I can have the retirement that I, I believe we deserve for as hard as we work. And the only way we're going to do that is if we make him a great producer and a great person. And, and, and I, I see other farms that I believe are doing their transition right. And I see other farms I believe are doing their transition wrong. So I'm a long ways from wanting to get out of this business, but I want to work with him as a team. And my wife and I want to help him develop him. And then at the end, we want to, as we decide to transition out um, of the management and or the day to day labor, we want him to have a business that's thriving and he could just take the ball and run with it and uh, be more successful than I ever thought about being that. That's, that's what keeps me up at night.
0: I think that's a very valid thing. And a lot of people forget to think about that. You know, there, there's this important factor of farm transitioning that, kind of gets shoved under the rug because it's a touchy subject and it's hard to do successfully really. So the fact that you have that in the forefront of your mind quite a bit now before you even start this transition, you know, the initial transition of, you know, all the legality stuff and money, but the more you think about it, the better. And the more communication there is, I think you'd be pretty well off. So,
1: well, last year, last year, we rented some ground quote unquote with him. Like he, Mm -hmm. he, we took, we rented a, a new chunk of ground and we let him work part of it, but we just kind of globbed it together. And I said, this year, we just picked up a new piece of property. And I said, you know what? You're gonna rent that farm. That is gonna be your farm. You're gonna make the, the decisions on what crop gets grown, how we, if we do any type of tillage, if we no-till it, if we strip till it, um, you're, gonna, you're gonna decide what variety to plant. You're gonna sell, you're gonna s- contract the grain. And you're you're gonna manage that. That is gonna be your little chunk of ground. Um, kind of no safety net. We're gonna help him out all we can. But if you make great money or you lose money, it's it's gonna be it's that is your deal. You're gonna you're gonna keep track of those bushels and the expenses and use our equipment and pay us a, a, a modest custom rate. And it's it's time for you at 25 years old. And he is super excited. I mean, he come in the next day after I told him that, and he's like. Well, we made a few ruts up there, combined in the corn. So I'm not sure exactly how I want to get the ruts out next spring and, uh, you know, work the ground. So it's given him a, a, lit a little bit of a fire under him that, you know, this is going to be your deal. This isn't going to be dad's farm. This is going to be your farm and you're going to you sink or swim, man. It's time, it's time to go. So. Time
0: to shine. <laughs> I love that. Time to shine.
1: That's right. Yep. Time to shine. We're going to help many way
0: we can. I love that. And I, it just it's refreshing to hear that there's still people that are like having, I guess, faith in the next younger generation of, you know, just do your thing and roll with it. And that's the best way to learn, because there's a lot of people that are getting older and older and they don't want to trust younger people with what they've worked so hard for. So the fact that there's that trust there, I think that says a lot about your operation and the ability that you have to be successful in a sustainable operation. So, yeah.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's been great to talk to you and learn from you and I will send people your way with, uh, the description in this podcast episode. So if anyone has any questions for Tom or anything about New York farming, he's your guy to go to. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today.
1: Thanks, Emma. We're going to do the same to support you and your efforts and the things you do and look forward to someday meeting you. We'd love to have you up in our area someday and, uh, help educate you some more and, uh, yeah. You, you keep being you and, and, uh, I'll keep being me and, uh, let, let's educate and feed the world.
0: Perfect. I think it's a great day to feed the world,
1: huh? <laughs> Thanks. <Emma. laughs>
0: Absolutely. I'll swing up by y'all sometime soon.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. You're welcome. Anytime.
0: Perfect. All right. Thank you. And we'll catch you guys on the next episode.